Today from the Global Lane, China's cyberspace crackdown on Christianity. Chinese Communist Party is determined to erase and destroy the Chinese Christian churches. U.S. troop withdrawal, rise of the Taliban, what it means for Afghan Christians. Uh, it could even encourage some of them to want to leave the country. Critical race theory and rewriting American history. What it's going to do is cause an ethnic war in this country. And juror bias, equal justice except for Chauvin. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. The Chinese Communist Party is expanding its crackdown against Christians. Church members there say it's the worst crackdown since Mao's cultural revolution in the 1960s. But Mao could never have imagined cyberspace and social media. The Chinese government is now targeting Bible apps and Christian chat rooms. International Christian Concern reports that Christian WeChat accounts have been blocked and Bible apps have been removed from the China App Store. Here with more is China Aid President Bob Fu. His organization has just released its 2020 report on persecution in China. What do you make of this latest news that China is now targeting Christian chat rooms and Bible apps? Thank you, Gary. Good to be with you again. Yeah, I mean, the, to remove and uh, suspend all the Bible-related uh, apps and um, teaching accounts in the public WeChat rooms with millions of followers shows the Chinese Communist Party is determined to erase and um, destroy the Chinese Christian churches. I mean, even from the virtual side. Uh, so with the so-called uh, pandemic, of course, uh, excuses, uh, now the Christian churches, including both the official government-sanctioned churches and the uh, independent house churches, they were all not allowed to operate uh, even in the virtual setting. That, that's amazing. It's not just shutting the doors of buildings, but also shutting doors online. So let's go a little broader now, Bob. What did China Aid find after examining Chinese government actions against Christians and other people of faith during 2020? China Aid has uh, found uh, with our uh, in-depth research uh, that in 2020, the persecution against uh, Christian churches, against the human rights lawyers, um, both in the government-sanctioned church and the house churches have reached really to the worst level that we have not seen since the Cultural Revolution in 1960s. I mean, this is the third year of the Communist Party's so-called sanitization campaign, which means anything that is found not compatible with the President Xi's ideology, communism, socialism, is, uh, going, to, uh, is going to be regarded as the enemy of the state ideology. And uh, we have seen even the church members who are organizing uh, prayer meetings online had been targeted uh, with the uh, criminal and administrative detention. Just in the past few days, the largest house church in Beijing, the Beijing Zion Church, have two of their pastors being uh, kidnapped and um, even sentenced to uh, uh, 10 days administrative detention. And uh, we have seen, of course, under this uh, sanitization campaign, pastors uh, receive uh, four and a half years imprisonment for refusing to put uh, the Communist Party's 
posters of propaganda in their church building for refusing to put a Communist Party's uh, national flag at their parking lot. Of course, we have seen Pastor uh, Wang Yi, the, uh, who was sentenced to nine years imprisonment for preaching a sermon, uh, uh, pleading for President Xi to uh, suspend his crackdown, asking him to repent so that he can get salvation. That is 10 years, I mean, nine years imprisonment. And, and part of that, Bob, I know we've talked in the past about facial recognition software, social credit scoring, people being denied jobs, promotions. They have low scores. Uh, they're not considered to be good communists. They don't have favors. So how is that scoring affecting Christians or people who are not part of the government-approved, government-controlled church? Yes, 2020 marked really the uh, uh, first year, I think it's the whole called the national um, the, the, the uh, digital authoritarianism rule with uh, uh, literally 2.6 billion face recognition cameras uh, has been installed uh, all over China, which means uh, every Chinese will have two face recognition cameras are following them. The so-called social credit score had been also instated with the big data plan. If you are a Christian, if you are especially a Christian pastor uh, or a house church leader or um, anyone who has a religious faith that is not compatible with the communism uh, will uh, guaranteed have a lower score, which means uh, you may be banned from even buying a train ticket or air flight, uh, air flight tickets, and which means you couldn't get a promotion, which means uh, your family members cannot join the uh, civil servant uh, test or join the military. So you are regarded absolutely as second or third class citizens. A lot of Americans yes. are, are afraid that may come here with vaccine passports and so forth. So finally, Bob, on this program and other CBN News programs, we've reported for some time now about the Chinese Communist Party's persecution of the ethnic Uyghurs. Many of our viewers don't realize that not all Uyghurs are Muslim. There are quite a few Uyghur Christians. Tell us about them and do they suffer the same oppression? Yes, you're right, uh, Gary. The Uyghur Christians and Uyghur Muslims and uh, even the other minorities like Kazakhs had been suffering the uh, genocide, um, as the secretary, uh, former Secretary Pompeo designated, I mean, between one to three million of them are still in the concentration camp. We just, uh, China Aid just rescued a Kazakh family. The mother suffered at least 16 months of, in the concentration camp. She herself was abused, and also she was a witness, eyewitness, uh, seeing a, a systematic government-organized forced prostitution. I mean, how can we, with a good conscience, deal with a, a government uh, committing such a, a grave a genocide and a crime against humanity, and yet we're still treating this as business as usual, like uh, these uh, uh, American companies are doing in China? So it's a time to have a wake-up call. Okay. China Aid President Bob Fu. Thank you, Bob, for providing those insights today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Gary, for having me. Now that we've moved into the month of May, U.S. troops are starting to move out of Afghanistan.
President Biden has ordered the last of the remaining 2,500 American troops withdrawn by September 11th. But some members of his own party are urging him to reconsider. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton says the Biden decision is a wicked problem with huge consequences. Well, here to provide us with some insights on what the U.S. troop withdrawal may mean for the people of Afghanistan, including the country's tiny Christian community, is John Weaver. Mr. Weaver served the people of Afghanistan for many years. He knows the country well. He's author of the book Inside Afghanistan, a mission of mercy to a war-torn people before 9-11 and beyond. John, thank you for being with us. So do you agree with former Secretary of State Clinton that the Afghanistan withdrawal decision is a wicked problem with huge consequences? Gary, it is going to have consequences. And um, we know without the U.S. troops there and the international community, it could turn into a volatile situation. Only God knows how the Taliban will, will proceed moving forward with this decision. Well, I know we should be concerned for all Afghans, but uh, much attention, of course, is being placed on the plight of women there. What gains have they made during the 20-year U.S. presence there, John? What would the withdrawal mean for them? Well, there have been a lot of gains for women and children. You know, there's a lot of development that's happened over these 20 years, Gary. Uh, but, of course, if the Taliban have more of control, we know that their agenda is very much very strict, conservative, Islamic view of life, which oppresses women and children. And so it could become worse for them. Well, I, I know that women have made tremendous gains, and so have children, especially females, in education, uh, jobs. We see them all over the place, uh, working in bakeries, uh, also you know, baking bread, also at beauty salons and so forth. I mean, that's a significant difference from what it was 20 years ago. How do we assure that that continues? Well, we pray and hope that uh, the, the, the Afghan government, the National Army, can keep you know, peace and stability. Yes, there are some wonderful gains. I mean, having lived there before 9-11 and now living there after 9-11, some amazing gains primarily for, there's even women in government, Gary. I mean, it's amazing the steps that have gone forward for, uh, for women and children with the international community's help, primarily led by our government. But only time will tell if the Taliban have more of a seat at the table in terms of the government, how they'll respond to those developments specifically for women. We've seen some comments from Afghan government leaders and even members of the Afghan military saying they are up to the task of taking on the Taliban by themselves. Are they? What do you think? Well, I was just on a call a few minutes ago on a Zoom call with some Afghan church leaders, and the challenge they say is that in the remote areas, it is more difficult for the National Army uh, but in places like, you know, Mazar and Kabul and Herat, the bigger cities, there is a growing, you know, presence of the police and the Afghan military. I've actually seen at times where they have tried to, you know, do what they can to keep the Taliban at bay. Uh, but only time's going to tell how this will actually play out. What can you tell us about Muslim background believers, the MBBs in Afghanistan? Gary, there are thousands of them. Often we get asked the question, do we know how many? We always would say, well, there's not enough. Uh, but yet there are a few thousand Muslim background believers who are following Jesus now. They love Jesus. They meet in houses. It's a small group type of a venue. It is slowly spreading, but it is very dangerous, very difficult for them. We want to stand with them in prayer and support and believe that 
as we know, the gospel is the answer. Jesus is the answer. The kingdom of God is the answer. And we pray that like the leaven and the dough, the gospel and God's kingdom spread throughout the 34 provinces in Afghanistan. What will the U.S. troop withdrawal mean for those Christians? I'm assuming they're considered to be apostates, so their lives are at risk anyway. They'll still be in danger regardless. Uh, so what will it mean for them also for the advancement of the gospel in Afghanistan? Well, time will tell, but obviously if the Taliban have more of a say, they will definitely want to add more persecution that already exists towards the, the minority Christian community that's there. Uh, it could even encourage some of them to want to leave the country. You know, there's a revival happening in Iran and some of that's spilling over even into Afghanistan. So we don't know exactly how it, it, migration might influence uh, Afghans that are in the country, but we want to trust now that there's enough of a Christian presence that will stay in the country, continue to be sought in light, and to weather the storm, possibly a persecution and opposition from a more uh, Taliban-influenced government. But yet we know God's not—no one can stop God. No one can stop His Spirit. And so we trust His Word would continue to spread throughout Afghanistan in the midst of these challenging days ahead for them. So the troops may not be there, but God is always there. So a lot to pray about, right, John? Amen. God is always at work. would encourage the listeners, please stand in prayer. It's Ramadan now. Some of you might be aware that God does mysterious things during the month of Ramadan, revealing himself to Muslims in dreams and visions. We hear testimonies of that all the time. But let's please stand in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. The gospel would spread not only among the 34 provinces, but the dozens of people groups and tribal groups and ethnic groups and language groups. There'd be a witness, a clear witness of the gospel. Okay, John Weaver, author of the book Inside Afghanistan, A Mission of Mercy to a War-Torn People Before 9-11 and Beyond. Thank you, John. We appreciate your insights. Thank you, Gary. Bless you. Have a great day. The state of Idaho is pushing back against the teaching of critical race theory in its public schools. Governor Brad Little has followed the lead of governors in Utah and Arkansas by signing legislation enacting a ban on CRT teaching also at public universities in his state. The U.S. Department of Education under President Biden is proposing that public schools in the entire U.S. should be forced to teach critical race theory. At the heart of critical race theory is the idea that America was founded by white supremacists and the country's history of racism and inequality still has an impact on modern-day society right here in the USA. Well, joining us to share his thoughts and set us straight is Autry Pruitt. Mr. Pruitt is the CEO of the New Journey Political Action Committee. Autry, always good to talk to you. Thanks for being here. So what's the history of the CRT, the origins, and why is critical race theory being pushed now? Well, the the origins uh, go. If actually, if you really, really trace the origins, go way back into the '60s. Although a lot of the stuff is more modernized, this stuff goes way back in the '50s and '60s. Some of it with uh, the radical socialists at the time. But the notion is very, very simple. The notion is that everything has to be viewed through a pigment, through the uh, prism, excuse me, of pigmentation. Everything has to be viewed in that manner. And so it doesn't matter what subject you're in. It doesn't matter what point you're in in history, rather you're now or rather you're back in 1750 uh, or 1664, right? It doesn't matter. You've got to view it through the lens of someone's pigmentation. And then that 
informs how things progress in the future. So you have a situation now, in, in, particularly in the U.S., where schools want to say you cannot succeed or there are things you can't do or you will always be held back because originally the country was founded for, by, and to support only white males. Well, I, so I'm kind of offended say, by that because I'm a descendant of someone who came here on the Mayflower, and I, and I must say, I know they came for religious freedom uh, because they it, were being persecuted in England. So uh, why do you believe the CRT is now a threat to the future of the nation? The CRT is a threat to the future of not only the nation but us as individuals because what it does is it tries to put people in categories and groups that have nothing to do with the actual uh, demonstration, demonstrable demonstration of your merit, of what you do, of what you go out and how you access the community. It has nothing to do with your work ethic. It has nothing to do if you show up on time. And what it's going to do is cause an ethnic war in this country. That's what's going to happen. And, and, it's, it, and to some extent, it's already happening. Well, and it may lead to more segregation, in my understanding, uh, <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, fought for integration, not segregation. Here we are right back again where we were prior to the civil rights struggle. So a number of states have either passed legislation or are considering it. Mm -hmm. So what's the likelihood the federal government will drop its push if more states start banning it? I think the federal government's going to keep its push going because the Supreme Court had ruled long ago that if you take the federal tax dollars, then the federal government can put stipulations, can put controls and rules that come with those dollars. So I think the uh, left side of the aisle, the Democrats are going to keep pushing forward within the federal government to keep CRT on the agenda, or you're going to be forced to turn down those federal monies. Lottery, then, I guess it just means uh, people are going to have to go to their school boards and get more involved. Is that correct? Yes, it, it means two things. One, they're going to have to get more involved in their school boards, in the curriculum development. And two, what the legislature should be doing is passing laws that basically say they set up parent reading committees. And we can pay uh, the parents for this, for their time, by the way. Parent reading committees, right? It can rotate between a volunteer list of parents who, uh, or a list of parents, I'm sorry, who want to volunteer to read. And we can, again, reimburse them for their time. So it's semi-volunteer. But these parents have to be current, currently in the school district. Their students have to be current students in the school district. And they should read textbooks before they're used in the classroom. That's the way to solve this problem. And they give it their stamp of approval. Then at that point, the teacher or the school district can use it. That would curb a lot of this stuff right from the beginning. Well, that sounds like a sensible solution. Autry Pruitt, CEO of New Journey Pack. Thank you, Autry, for setting us straight. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on board. New questions are being raised about possible jury bias in the George Floyd trial. Late last August, juror number 52, Brandon Mitchell, attended a 57th anniversary rally commemorating Martin Luther King Jr.'s march on Washington. Seems innocent enough, right? But the event was more than just a commemoration of that historic turning point in America's civil rights struggle. Mitchell and other attendees heard speaker after speaker, including George Floyd's family members, talk about Floyd and police brutality. It's time! 
to get your knee off our neck in this country. My brother cannot be a voice today. We have to be that voice. So folks, here's the problem. First, Mitchell told members of the media that he had never been to Washington. Then this photo surfaced on Facebook, showing him attending the DC rally, wearing a Black Lives Matters t-shirt. Mitchell later admitted and defended his attendance, saying the protests provided him the opportunity to be part of something. Well, last week, Mitchell appeared on Good Morning America, talking about George Floyd. He, he, his name is going to live on. His legacy is, is now cemented in history, and that is, that is huge, and that is unfortunate. It's a positive lining within a negative, a negative result as, as his death. Um, but that's just me as a positive person, just kind of looking towards the bright side. So not an impartial role determining guilt or innocence, but Mitchell viewing his mission as one to bring about positive change to society. Folks, Mitchell was not an impartial juror. He may have committed a felony on his jury selection questionnaire. When asked if he had ever participated in a protest about police use of force or police brutality, Mitchell responded no. He said the August 2020 march on Washington was 100% not a demonstration for George Floyd. But it was at least partially about Floyd. Also during jury selection, Mitchell told the judge he knew nothing about the Derek Chauvin George Floyd case. But it was discussed repeatedly at that D.C. rally that Mitchell attended. Folks, it's time to set aside emotions. Social change cannot come when there's been injustice for both the victim and the accused. As unsympathetic as most of us are to former police officer Derek Chauvin, he has the right to a fair trial with impartial, unbiased jurors. Expect a new trial or an appeal to be granted in this case. That must happen because the rule of law and due process are central to who we are as Americans. We must remain committed to those principles. The character of our nation and the future of our republic are at stake. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on CBN News Channel, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.